0: Hey everyone, welcome to Orange Crushing It, a weekly series dedicated to high drive, passionate and motivated individuals. I'm your host, Frank Clark, President and CEO of V Mr. Orange. This shows a weekly dose of business, life and personal development principles geared toward bringing out the adrenaline junkie and overachiever in each and every one of you. As a seasoned entrepreneur of over five companies producing hundreds of millions in revenue, I'm going to personally be sharing my stories of success and, of course, my life-defining massive (laughs) screw-ups, as well as featuring inspiring guests, business leaders, athletes, thrill seekers who just truly want to walk their talk and make life happen. Stick around, and let's get crushing. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Orange Crushing It. I am Frank Clark. I am excited. I am the CEO of The Mr. Orange, and it's a fantastic day today. Beautiful weather here in Tampa, Florida, and I am getting to not just interview a friend, but a mentor and somebody that I'm getting to really know quite, quite well. Uh, He's part of a group, uh, we call it the 10 by 10, and our group name is actually called The Rising, after uh, Bruce Springsteen album (laughs) of resurgence and, and rising and becoming great. That's all part of the Orange Energy anyways. Orange Energy is about being driven, passionate. It's about helping others get what they want, being a contributor in the world, and tapping into that adrenaline junkie, want to succeed, want to feel significant kind of space. And so today, my guest is Murray Beaulieu. He's a fantastic guy. He's also a fellow New Englander right now. So you know, anybody from New England that roots for the Pats and the Sox and the, and the Bruins and the Celtics, obviously, he's a friend of mine. A little background on Murray. Murray was born in Puerto Rico. But he's traveled a bit, a fighting Irishman from Notre Dame, and I'm proud to say and and appreciate the fact that he has served five years in the U.S. Army. So thank you, Murray, for your service. For 34 years, Murray's been a financial manager and executive at a lot of the Fortune 500 electronics companies, especially those up in New England, uh, Raytheon, Texas Instrument, Analog Devices. And while he was at Analog Devices, which, by the way, are some of these same people are customers of mine in my electronics space. Analog Devices, by the way, is $5 billion dollar semiconductor company, Murray was able to lower the cost of goods sold in the company right to the bottom line, multiples, multiples of billions of dollars. He was also worked at Raytheon during the Gulf War and was reassigned from the finance department to the Patriot Missile Program, where he ran the shift and the operations of three shifts, actually, and decreased costs by heck of a lot of money, almost a half a million dollars. Murray's recently retired. However, again, being that orange energy that he is, he can't sit down, he can't stay retired, so he's, uh, he's back at it again, and he's working on a debt elimination program, which is amazing. This debt elimination program is something he's kind of designed, it's a game changer for him personally and professionally. The program is endorsed by Ernst & Young, and so far he has saved over $2 billion. that's billion with a B, to date. His goal is to share this with at least 10,000 people, and I'm hoping there's at least 10,000 people listening to Orange Crushing It today. So hopefully, Murray, all of them become your customer and a client. Not only is he a great friend, he has a PhD in LinkedIn, so he can he knows tons of stuff about how to you know, maximize your connections in that space. He's an old school rocker like me, loves the Rolling Stones. You can't see this, this is a podcast, but his virtual background behind him is the, is the Rolling Stones, and we were just sharing stories before we got on this call about all of our rock and roll endeavors. Murray, welcome to Orange Crushing It. So glad to have you here, man.
1: Thanks, Frank. It's really an honor to be here. What a, what a lead in. I enjoyed the, the, the 30 minute pre-call. That was awesome. <laughs> yes. Thank you. G- great to be here.
0: Yeah. Thanks honor. again. Yeah. Our pre-call, we were talking about all the uh, rock and roll memories that we have. Murray's been uh, to 30 Rolling Stones concerts. I've been to about 25 Aerosmith shows and we're just kind of swapping notes, which will be a podcast for another day coming in the future. So, Murray, I kind of gave you a little bit of a background here, but obviously, you know, you're an accomplished guy. You've obviously worked a lot. And, you know, you've obviously given a lot of time to us in the, in the form of your service to uh, our military, which, again, I appreciate very much. Thank you. For sure. That. What would you say, Murray, in your life with all of these things that you've done was a pivotal moment to you that you either recognized that, you know, I can be a really strong, successful guy. I know how to achieve in the world. I know how to take things and make things happen. What was the moments in your life that you said, OK, I'm confident in who I am and I, I can make something happen.
1: Well, that's a great question. Early on, I think, was, was uh, getting my, the ROTC scholarship to get into Notre Dame was uh, a big deal. The year I applied, they only awarded a thousand of these and there was like 75,000 applicants. So I don't know how I got it, but I got it and that enabled me to go to Notre Dame. And that was that was a big swing. I, I kind of considered myself just an average guy. But I thought oh, this is a pretty big deal, and I didn't really realize it until I got to Notre Dame. It's a pretty competitive place. <laughs> yeah. Back in those days, we didn't know too much about. No, I didn't know too much about it until except the football team. But there's a lot more to it than that. And then when I got out of the army, it was pivotal. I just felt like I could. You know, I kind of grew up fast. You know, yeah. I went from a 21-year-old college kid to being a platoon leader of 30 guys. And this was the all-volunteer army. They had just stopped the draft. There was a very anti-military mentality after the Vietnam War, okay? <laughs> it doesn't say this in my bio, but the first 30 guys I had in my, in my platoon were in the army because they either – the judge told them you either join the army or you gotta, you, you're going to prison for 10 years. So I had – I wouldn't say I had the highest caliber you know, and I didn't know what the hell I was doing, you know, so I grew up fast, you know, in five years. And then uh, I, I was able to parlay that plus uh, a lifetime of uh, my dad was in the army. We moved every year. So one skill I got good at was meeting people. You know, every year I had to we went to a different school and uh, developing rapport, which to this day is probably my strength, you know, sort of like that pre-call. Right. I like people, I like working with people, and that's, uh, you know, I like helping people. So if I had to summarize, I would say that those were pivotal moments uh, in my career.
0: Awesome. How do you go, Murray, from, you know, working in semiconductor to now you're retired, you're able to receive a nice retirement package, and yet you go, you know what, I want to get into debt elimination. I want to to help people (laughs) lose their debt. I mean, that's an important thing because especially now we're in this pandemic right now. Yes, and people need to readjust the way they spend money. They need to, you know, yes. they've been forced in many cases to have to analyze this and look at it. Yeah. Um, so it is a big it, deal. Yeah. So
1: here, I, I kind of backed into it, to be honest, okay? And by the way, I want to, you were a little bit too generous on that. Uh, I, I was not the one who came up with this. I, I plugged into a business model that has already done, that is doing this. So this this debt elimination program, the fact that they were endorsed by Ernst & Young, that was compelling to me because as a corporate finance guy, Ernst Young had been in, my, been in my underwear for 35 years. So I knew that if they, you know, hey, that's a pretty reputable company. I, I knew that they, they were had something good to offer. So what I was looking for is something that I, I could sort of parlay my financial experience in a big corporation to help the average Joe. What I found out was the finance stuff that I was doing for big corporations, and you'll appreciate this because you're in the same space, I was doing manufacturing finance, which is the cost of goods sold line, right? completely unrelated to personal finance, <laughs> right? But there are some concepts that are the same, like debt and interest rates and outsourcing and things like that. Cost
0: of goods is your groceries. Cost of goods is your, is your spending at home. Cost of goods is your clothing budget. Cost of goods is your vacation budget. Those are all COGS, right? Frank, I'm going to
1: hire you as my agent right after this call. That's, <laughs> that's right. absolutely correct. That's the kind of thing I was trying to, you know, I was trying to use my background, as a, some credibility. And at the time I was work, that I discovered this program after I retired. And before I got into the debt thing, I was actually working with, uh, financial advisors. We had this program to help financial advisors get more business. And one of the financial advisors said, hey, well, I'm not really interested in what you have right now. It's a great program, but let me show you this debt elimination program we have. And uh, I was very skeptical so we ran the numbers on me. This is how the whole funnel works. you know. We ran the numbers on me, and I was able to – this was life-changing, Frank. I had refinanced my house four times, like a lot of people do, to get a lower payment, right? Sure. So you have more cash flow every month. But I, I, I'm i embarrassed to say that as a finance guy, I didn't look at the big picture. There's a lot of stuff happening when you refinance, including you're kicking the mortgage can down the road another 30 years, right? And when you look at an amortization schedule, which – they always give you when you close, but you, they, they kind of gloss over it real quick, you know, because they don't really want you to look too close. Sure. But the reality is that you, the whole first 15 years is almost all interest payments, right? Right. So you're really not getting ahead. If you really ran the true interest that you're paying on a 4% loan, let's say, if you divide the total interest you pay into the, the you know, the principal you paid, it's, it's a hell of a lot more than 4%, but it's just the way the math works. Anyway, I wasn't going to be paying off my house until I'm 85, Frank. I didn't look at that until I left the corporate world. And it's embarrassing as a corporate executive that I didn't do that. And that just goes to show that not everybody knows. Just because you're in finance doesn't mean you know all the different angles. Right. And that kept me awake at night. Seriously. It's very stressful. You know, I don't want to be spending, paying money to a bank when I'm 85. I want to do retirement stuff. You know, sure. And so when this guy showed me this, we ran the numbers and said could, I could pay everything off in seven years. I was like, "Holy shit!" And save over 150 grand. You know, in interest payments. That was a life, That was a light bulb moment. And so I said, "Hey, I'd like to offer this to people. Is is there a way to I could sell this?" And he says, "Yeah." You know, so uh, I jumped right on it, and uh, it's been particularly rewarding. So at the end of the day, I can help more people. I feel like I, you know, even as a single as a one man operation here, I can, I can help. I feel like I can help more people because than I did when I was an executive at a $5 billion company, because when you're working for a company at the end of the day, you're working for a company, right? Right. So I spent my entire career making other people look good. Yes. I got benefits out of it. And it was a great company. The last one I'm talking about, analog Mm -hmm. devices, great company. One of the best actually. But at the end of the day, I still don't feel like I, Got compensated for what I brought to the table, and uh, and I, I didn't feel like I was helping as many people as I do now. Even, even I'm just talking one on one with average people and showing them what's possible. And it's it's a big there's a big educational element in this, you know, yeah. making people aware of debt is almost assumed nowadays. Everyone has credit cards, at the yin yang. College debt is off the charts, and mortgages is what we talk about a lot. But there's all kinds of debt, and oh, the yeah. government doesn't set a great example, right? I mean. So it's almost like debt is acceptable now, and you know, I'm I'm, I'm rambling here. So I'm, I'm I'm expanding on your answer, but um, debt is not bad. I mean, it's a it's necessary. I would never have been able to buy a house if it wasn't for debt. But debt can also you can go overboard, and it can control you. And really, that that really grates me. You know, I I, I really like to have my own freedom. You know, do do what I want. And when I had, you know, and I had, wasn't paying off my debt my mortgage until I was 85. That That was really, without hyperbole, very stressful to me, and it was hard to explain to my wife. And that was a big thing, you know. Explaining to my wife, you know, gosh, you know, I didn't think about this when we refinanced. Anyway, I just feel like the light bulb has gone on, the lights dawned on Marblehead, an expression you might recognize from being from Massachusetts, right? And so uh, I just feel good about what I'm doing. And when I pay off my debts, I pledge to to give 50% of all future income to uh, charity, of which I'm working on the specific charities that I'm going to do that with. But uh, that gives me the ability to do that. I'm very, very pumped. So thanks for
0: asking, though. No, fantastic. Thank you for sharing that story with us. And, you know, again, you know, the light, when the light bulb went off, right, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. And sometimes I look at an amortization table and you go, oh, my God, I'm going to maybe that's the teacher. Right. And and we all of a sudden tap into that goes to show the type of contributor and giver and great soul that you are, Murray, you know, and again, more reason why I'm so blessed to be a friend with you. You talk about mortgages, and I've heard, and maybe you can you know, clarify this to some degree, if you just make two payments a month, Mm. or you take the one payment you're supposed to make and cut it in half, and, Mm. you know, isn't there some theory about cutting 15 years off your mortgage by just doubling up your payments?
1: I'm not sure about the exact math, but it certainly will help you. If you do either one of those strategies, you will definitely save a lot of money in the long in the long run. no doubt about it, whether it's you know just creating one uh, two payments out of one. what was the first one you said paying a little extra
0: yeah, you it, pay a little extra, you pay yeah. like you pay what you owe, but then you send another like, yeah. two hundred bucks or five hundred bucks
1: or- no doubt mm-hmm. those are definitely winning strategies the here's the problem with them though uh, if there is a problem, if you can stick to that, great, the problem is people can't stick to it, and the second problem is on the The scenario where you're paying a little extra, the system we have, you don't pay any extra. You you keep, your budget is not affected. Your lifestyle is not affected and you don't modify your loans. You stay within the same budget you have and still pay it off in one third to one half the time. And, and our system looks at all your debt. Most people have more than one area, not just a mortgage. If all you had was a mortgage, that would be great. Make two payments a month. But typically people also have credit cards. You know, they got a home equity line of credit. And the question is, which one do I pay off first? And, you know, how do I move all that around? There's a lot of math involved. So we have a a system that has all these algorithms that are purely designed for you to either pay off interest or get interest in terms of return fastest. And it, 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 it operates like a bank does. Okay. so let me give you this analogy. Let me ask you this, Frank, particularly if you drive through Hartford, you could drive through any big city. What, a, what industry owns the biggest buildings in any city?
0: The insurance companies. Insurance
1: companies and? And the banks. Banks, right? There's a reason for that because they know how to use money to their advantage. They leverage you know, money. So when you have a checking account, this is a real simple, simple scenario. But when you have a checking account, how much interest do you have on your checking account do you get from the bank?
0: Oh, 1% if maybe less than- Checking account, put- you're lucky.
1: Uh, most people I know yeah. get zero. I get zero on mine, zero. Zero. right? Yeah. <laughs> checking, I'm not talking <laughs> savings, checking. Oh, checking, yeah, you get nothing for that. Zero, right? But the bank is using your money and your checking account and loaning it out and making a lot of money on, oh, yeah. on that. right? They're leveraging other people's money to make, and they're not paying you anything. So I forget the name of it, but there's a difference between what they loan it out at and what they're paying you. And that delta is what they're making. And there's a bunch of strategic things they're doing to get them. They're squeezing the most they can out of all the money they have. And there's a reason they keep your checking account separate from your mortgage, because they don't want you to think about, hey, what if I kind of put those together? I could pay my mortgage off quicker. And they don't want you to know that. You know, so what, what we do is we you, you utilize all your financial tools that you have available to to get to the right answer, to get to pay off that debt quicker. We're using the same logic that a bank does is four Different strategies that uh, at least four that I cannot tell you the math on because it's way above my pay grade, but it does all the math for you. And here's the beautiful thing is, and I, this is, sounds like an advertising thing. I don't want to get into advertising, but it's a financial GPS. If you know if you're driving in a using your GPS while driving and you miss a turn, it says recalculate. it, Right. Oh. So this particular program we have, if you if life happens and you miss a payment or or you want to buy a new car or whatever, you know, if there's more variables that happen, it readjusts on the fly and it will tell you it will redirect if necessary, whatever you do. It's so it's amazing. It's amazing. I'm getting overexcited here talking about it. But you can see that it, to me, it's I feel it's not only a, I just feel like more people should know this. Getting back to your statement about amortization tables. Which I don't know. Should I explain what that is in case people don't know what that is? Uh, Maybe. So an amortization table tells you every month. If you have a 30-year loan, you're going to get a table of 30 years times 12 is what 360 payments that you make. It's going to lay them all out for you. The amount you pay every month is the same, but the mix between principal and interest varies depending on where you are in the loan, right? And so an amortization table just tells you, okay, a month one, you're going to pay a whole lot of interest and hardly any principal, And this is going to be your new balance. And if you ever studied that, you'd see, you know, that the beginning of a uh, mortgage is typically almost all interest just because of the way they calculate it. And guess what, Frank, how many people live in their house 30 years to pay off that whole mortgage? Not many.
0: Not many. Yeah, but not many.
1: Not many. They either either sell their house and move and, and repeat the cycle of paying off a whole bunch of interest or they refinance like I did four times, you know, and Repeat the cycle of, of uh, paying off a lot of interest. So we're showing you a strategy where you can get rid of, you know, stop doing that. Get out of that trap. That's why banks want you to refinance all the time. you, ever th- you know. I always wonder, like, why that. does the bank want me to refinance at a lower rate? You know, that doesn't seem. There's some. There's some catch here, right? You know, wh- why would they want to do that? Because well, you know,
0: the banks uh, the banks run the business on liars figure and figures lie. <laughs> <Yeah>. So whatever. <laughs> That's my theory on it. <laughs> right. In conclusion, yeah. correct. In, in conclusion, right. It's all about how you market the math. In a yes. lot of cases, right. I mean, if well I have put, a company, input. Well yes. Seriously, Keep going. Think about it. If I have a company that has one customer, right, and in year two I have two customers. Well, I didn't just gain one customer. I'm not going to go out and market. I only have two customers. I only have one customer from. That's all I was able to do. I'm a hundred percent growth rate oh my God, I am going to apply for the Inc. 5,000 fastest growing companies in America because I have a hundred percent growth rate right now.
1: That's amazing, Frank. Wow. That's how, you know, I got to learn more. Where can I sign up, Frank? That's amazing. Uh,
0: We'll, we'll, we'll throw a tagline at the end here, Murray. But you know, you're talking about the situation or the things that people don't think of, or they're not really informed. They're not educated on it. You know, I've done some business classes and I've taken some wealth classes and investing classes And the the predominant message that comes out of most of these is that wealth and preservation of wealth is eighty percent mindset, twenty percent mechanics. Pretty much with anything in life, you want to get it's eighty percent mindset. And you know, I don't know if these statistics are one hundred percent accurate, but what I've read and I've heard is the average savings in the United States per household is about five thousand bucks. That's it. That's all people have to their name is five thousand bucks in their savings checking account, savings account. And they have racked up so much credit card debt at 26, 27% interest rates on these things. Mm. And there's a lot of mindset that if I have checks, I have money. If I have a credit card with balance, I have money, right? That's Mm. not money. So, you know, when you start talking to somebody, what are the one or two things that you would ask them or try to get into, really understand them or teach them about the mindset of money?
1: That was genius stuff there, Frank. I hope everyone caught that. I would say about mindset. And, I, and I, before I answer that question, I think mindset, the, the more I go into as an entrepreneur, so I'm an entrepreneur now, right, Frank? I have to be a are. corporate guy, right? You
0: know what an entrepreneur is, Murray? No. An entrepreneur is a guy who will work 100 hours a week for the sheer joy of never working 40 for somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: absolutely correct,
0: Frank. So welcome to the club. <laughs> yes.
1: But the more I am an entrepreneur, the, the more I realize mind. I'm going to put mindset at like 98%. I mean, okay. it is everything. And you know, what's other shocking Frank is when I was in a, in a corporation, they never talk about mindset. I'd never heard the, the expression never came up. They don't train their people in that, you know, you would think that, but they don't, you know, and I don't know if it's intentional or just an oversight, but until I became an entrepreneur, it never crossed. So it took me a while to, for it to sink in. And, and so I, Realize, and I think anybody who's successful—I don't know—would you agree with this—that you need constant mindset to work your mindset and, and possibly coaching to keep going, right, Frank? I mean, uh, I think would you mindset agree with is that? everything. That's uh, 100. Yeah. percent
0: I mean, I'm I'm a big believer. And a mutual friend of ours, Sean Callagy, speaks of this and, and can explain it to the nth degree. I interviewed him, uh, did a podcast with him just a couple times uh, weeks ago on the 80-20 Pareto rule, which is you know 80% of your results come from 20% of the cause. Mm. Right, and and that's so true. So, if you think about it, and you're saying like mindset is ninety eight percent, I agree. It's a, it's a, it's a huge number that produce that really the best, even the parts of that that mindset. Right, the twenty percent that you act on, that twenty percent, you know, the actual twenty percent produces so much gain. Produces so mm. much gain. But you have to act on it, and you have got to believe in it. And it's like, look, I can go to the gym. I do. I go to the gym almost every day. When I go to the gym every day, I lift weights. Okay, well. Rep one through eight doesn't give me all the game that rep nine and ten do, right? Mm. So 20% of that gives me 80% of the actual game. But you have to do one through seven, one through, you know, eight to get to nine and ten, mm. right? You have to do those steps and they, they're not rewarding mm. or as rewarding, right? right. So, so it's, it's in that fine little shift, right? The, the small percentages that create the, the most gain. And mindset, to some, you know, in some aspects, can be just a minor way you think of things, right? Right. And so, you know, again, you being now a new entrepreneur and you managing the assets and managing the bottom line, some large Fortune 50 uh, semiconductor companies and military companies, right? Mm. Now you're taking that into the household. What part of the mindset is this one or two things that people really need to just switch? And it doesn't have to be, you don't have to rewrite the Bible. You don't have to, you know, it's not like not rocket science necessarily. One or two distinctions that you go, you know, if you could just grab that, just grab that principle.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. I I didn't think of this until you mentioned it, but I find that there's definitely a dichotomy between – it depends on the age of the person to some extent, Frank. And I I didn't have any intention of talking about this until – and I – it's not like I planned to say this. It's just that I just thought of this now that you said that because no one's ever asked me that like you just asked. But I'm finding that people my age – I, I I don't know how old you are, but uh, I think I'm older than you. I think it's safe to say. But uh, people my age, it, we are it's
0: gorgeous. E- we are
1: gorgeous elderly.
0: Uh, yes. We're well, not elderly. We are we are in the second chapter of our lives, Mario. Second and, chapter. And yes. Incredible hope- specimens of that. Yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what I find is people that are advancing. The reality of what they owe seems to be sinking in more. You know what I mean? They 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 realize that they're income earning time frame of their life is they've got a finite window here, you know, they got to make hay. And yet what they owe is, is becoming, is overwhelming them with, you know, uh, when, the, when the realization sits in, you know, they don't want to work till they're 90, you know, and they realize, like you said a minute ago, that they only have $5,000 in savings. And you start asking them, what are they doing for the future? Now, the younger people that I've dealt with so far, and I haven't talked to that many on this, is that they, I, I think that they're Debt is more, it's just, it's more squishy and they don't, they don't see the ramifications of, you know, they say, Hey, I got a credit card. I, you know, I can go, it's just, and I'm not, I'm not trying to say any generation is better than any other. And I, or, because I was the same way when I was young. Okay. I was the same way. You know, I didn't, I didn't get that credit cards are, you have to pay them back. You know, I mean, they didn't always have credit cards, Frank. And you think about it, the, the, the credit card is a, is the thing the banks thought of. So that people could buy more stuff and owe more interest, you know. Really, they, the credit cards didn't come around until like the 40s or 50s, yep. and they were very limited until somebody started figuring out they could make a lot of money with them. And then now they're all over the place, and now uh, you can't you can't operate without a credit card. So the mindset shift that they got to have is: What happens if something bad happens? And how long are you going to keep working? What you know, have you looked at the numbers further on down the road? What are you going to have? After you stop working, and are you going to have enough? I think there's a tendency to delay the inevitable, or to you know try to hide. I, I and I'm guilty of that myself. The primary example of my mortgage, I mean, I didn't look at the whole picture. Sure. So uh, you got to try to get them prepared to the extent they can. It's never too late, but it, you know what's the uh, expression? The best time to plant a tree was thirty years ago. The next best time is today. Right. Right. Same concept. That's kind of the mindset they got. they got to start thinking about and. The program we have gives them the ability to climb a mountain that they, they might not think that they could have gotten there without without this before. You know, sure. if they if they realize that they're just too much debt, I am happy to show them this that, that can help help bail them out. You know, and the, and the one cool thing about this is not only tells you what to do, how to move money around like a bank, but it also creates a discipline in their head. They start looking at the, what they're spending money on more closely. So Mm -hmm. it kind of is is a uh, self-fulfilling prophecy that we guarantee a number that, you know, when you put all your information into our system, you know, your your debt will all be paid off in 12.3 years, whatever, you know, and we guarantee that number and that number will change depending on your situation and, you know, life events. But the number is always conservative because A, we put a little bit of fat in to be conservative and B, people's habits start getting better. To me, that's a real win. You know, when they start thinking about you know that, that money is a limited resource, and they can't just expect it doesn't just flow through credit cards and, and loans and stuff. They get there's a they have to pay it back. You know, so when they start thinking that way, their natural behavior you know aligns with getting rid of debt and right. and becoming more financially free and unshackling themselves from paying money to other people.
0: So yeah, behavior behavior actually becomes habitual when it becomes practiced, right? That's right. And it's funny. When we're growing up or when we have kids and they're growing up, we all accept the fact that we need a teacher. You need Mm -hmm. teachers for the the next 12 years of your life. Mm -hmm. And they're going to teach you, you know, the fundamentals of life. And they're going to teach you about math and English and history and all the things you need to survive in the world. Right. Then you go into college and you get another degree and you learn. learn And we all accept the fact that we need teachers. And then we get out of school and we go, no, we don't need more teachers. We don't need more couches, We don't need we're going to do it on our own. And nobody hands you the handbook of how to raise kids. Nobody hands you the handbook on mm. how to buy a house and you know, now have a mortgage and, and all this debt you have you know, creating a family, by paying back your student loans, or you know, starting mm. a business and going into debt to start a company. Nobody reads that book to you, right? And unfortunately, I think the schooling system lacks, in a big way, from not teaching financial education to a lot of people. So it's great that, you got, that you're that you out there doing this stuff, Murray, because rather, whether you're teaching a 19-year-old kid about their 401k plan and the rule of 72 or, you know, <laughs> interesting, or little things like that, right? Yeah. Or, or, and you're just showing them the little small consistency produces great results. Mm. Or you're talking to somebody that's 56 years old that never saved a dime. Mm. And now is going, oh, you know, I guess I'm going to live on social security. Or, I'm going to hope that that program still sticks around, right? Or they've racked up 20, 30, 40, $50,000 in credit card debts. Yeah. The fact that you're even there to do that I would say and to, to add to the whole mindset piece, and one of the most important pieces I think in mindset when it comes to money is just get real, get, get real. honest, get yep. real. You know, get, just get honest. You know, yeah. sit down and look at, your, look at yourself in the mirror and go, "This, this is not. This problem is not going to come. It's not going to eliminate itself. You know, there's no day in the week called someday or one day. There's only the other seven days that I'm aware of. All right, so someday and one day doesn't come. Okay, when it comes to planning for your finances it's today mm. and, and and yes right so get your hand hand around it and just be honest yeah, that was the scale
1: that was genius the last, i hope everyone the last two minutes of frank okay. and thank god this is recorded i'm going to write that down no one gives you a book a manual that's right 100 percent man
0: so we need coaches we need people we need like coaches you, right? we need yeah. coaches out there right all the way through our life if you look at the most successful people in the world they have coaches, they have a coach, they have a nutritionist, they have a, a personal trainer, they have strength and conditioning coach they have w- that, whatever right they have a priest, they have a whatever whatever they look to therapist, whatever they look to somebody and go i need I need help and i'm not going to necessarily have to do it alone so again, yeah, the, what you provide the, is is help thank you yeah, the world is just too
1: complex, and I'll give you a corollary in you and I business okay you' uh, you're, you're uh, in the electronics. Well, how would you describe your your company? Your, your, the company I buy and sell uh, used capital
0: equipment for the electronic production space. So,
1: and so, I'm probably one of the few people on the uh, on the call that know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> you, you've
0: used equipment everything. that's right builds printed circuit boards and they go in those patriot missiles and i provide yes all the- frank yes. was
1: a was a vendor to us and so yes, here's am. an example of uh, one of the lessons i learned in in corporate that i'd like to pass on which is exactly this is another way of saying what frank just said about what you just said about coaches is that the complexity uh particularly analog devices man the complexity of what they're doing you've heard the thing that there's more computing power in uh in your cell phone than there was in the rocket that went to the moon in 69, right? There's just so much complexity in everything, in, in electronics, in life, that no one can know it all now. It's, you know, there used to be, you know, in the medical profession, there used to be general, my grandfather was a doctor who used to do house calls on horseback in a, in a small town in Maine. Maybe you know Ogunquit, Maine? I don't know. It's a oh, small... Yes, I,
0: oh, yeah. Maybe you know Ogunquit, Maine? Yeah, there yeah. you go. So, it's summertime.
1: He was the house he was the town doctor. He delivered almost everybody that was my age, and you know within a thirty year window of my age, he told me once about a, a house call he made on horseback at night on Mount Agamenicus mountain Road, which is the one little pimple of a hill that they have there to go skiing in a and you know at night in a, in, a, in a blizzard on a horse to to deliver some baby anyway, the whole point of this is. Back in those days, that's all there was was general doctors pretty much. And now you go to your, your primary care, they call it now, if you have a physical or you, uh, you need a, a prescription refill or maybe you have a sore throat. But if you blow out your knee or you have a heart attack, that's just too complicated. There's just too many, there's just too much to know there. And science is too far. So they need to outsource is my whole thing here, right? Mm-hmm. So they're sending you out to a specialist. Same thing in the electronics industry is outsourcing more and more and more. By the way, this is a corollary to somebody who's in a corporate gig, okay? You should, you're you're going to get outsourced pretty soon. But anyway, the storyline if you're in a corporate world is beware of getting outsourced. But sure. we had more and more vendors that we were acquiring doing stuff that we used to do as analog, but to keep up the pace with the rest of the world, to be competitive, we, we weren't able to be smart in all these areas. We had a certain intellectual property in, you know, in these sensors, these microchips that do sensing, And we were really good at it. But all the things associated with making them, maybe, or, you know, other, other elements, we, we finally got smarter and smarter and started outsourcing it to, to, to companies who were specialties in those areas, right? And that's the only way where they were able to grow. If we'd had kept everything in house, they, they'd be out of business by now, right? So the, the technology is just moving so fast to cram all this thinking power into, you know, these tiny chips that they make there's no way anyone can do it alone. This is the, let me just try to circle back to the comments, okay? The world is more complicated and no one can do it on their own to quote you. And that's 100% right. The same thing applies to everyday life. You know, you just you just need a coach. They, they might not be known as a coach. They might have another advisor or a priest or minister mentor, or yeah. a mentor or you know, whatever it is. There's no way you, you know, all these all these famous people have coaches. I have a I have multiple coaches. You've you've got coaches, right? Yeah. I mean, there's just, sometimes you need help. And so don't, don't be ashamed to ask for that at the end of the day. You know, my first outsourcing, I'll I'll end end this long, hot, long-winded answer with this. Okay. The first outsourcing thing I did that I can recall, probably did more than this, but have a pretty big lawn and I would waste an entire Saturday. I I like mowing the lawn, but- It would take me all friggin day and I was working a corporate gig, right, so twelve hour days during the week, and then my Saturday was shot mowing the friggin lawn, so that left like one day a week to do other stuff, yeah, and I'm like that's, not, that's no way to live so i the smartest move I made, one of the smartest moves I made was I paid some kid fifty bucks of, of mowing or whatever it was, forty bucks I don't know what it is. And he does better than me. He trims now. He trims the edging, you know, and all that. It looks a hell of a lot better. He sweeps all the stuff up which I used to let just rot and blow away. Right. It looks a hell of a lot better and I got a free Saturday, you know. And the way to do that is what am I paying myself per hour versus what am I, you know, is is it financially It makes a hell of a lot of sense not just from a time but from a financial perspective. So the hot-winded summary conclusions of this is, you know, be sure to ask for help and sometimes you don't know you need help, you know. Right. So that's and probably the biggest
0: that's probably the biggest challenge, right? Yeah. Put your ego on the shelf, you know? if Everybody just put their ego on the shelf for once in a while and just said, look it, you know, I'm a little bit vulnerable. I need some help. Yeah. You know, and be open to listening. Be open to, you know, experiment. Try something new, right? You know, yeah. that's what makes the world exciting is when you step outside and live a little bit outside your comfort zone, which means you got to ask and put yourself in that situation. Yes. So, yes. So Murray, you know, again, people can't see this because this is a podcast, but behind you. <laughs> your virtual wall here is of the Rolling Stones. Mm. And so I need to ask you one question. As, as guys like you and I that are, we'll call ourselves, you know, we'll call ourselves in the second or third chapter of our life. We're not in the, you know, not the, the early stages of our life, but we're in the next chapter. Keith Richards seems to defy life itself. Okay.
1: <laughs> Good. Yes, he does.
0: Yeah. So, Quickie, what is one of your favorite Rolling Stone stories? And how does Keith Richards keep himself alive forever? How does he like? I heard at the end of the world, okay, <laughs> there'll be styrofoam cockroaches and Keith Richards—the only three <laughs> things that will be left <laughs> after the pandemic takes us all, right? I saw
1: a meme yesterday. I'm gonna I didn't get it wrong, but it said that, you know at the top of the picture was you know we think if we have the vaccine, you know there might be a chance we can get rid of the virus. And then the picture below the, that was a picture of Keith Richards smoking a cigarette saying, this is the virus, you know, like, like in other <laughs> words, I'm not going away, you know. Anyway, um, so I have a whole bunch of Rolling Stones stories, but I will share uh, – <laughs> I'll share one. I, I, I don't know why I picked this one. So the first time I saw the Stones was in Germany. I was an officer in the Army. And by the way, I don't know. So the answer to your second question is, I don't know how Keith Richards lived so long. He's defied everything. There's no way he should, he should have been dead 30, 40 years ago. I mean, he looked like 50 miles of bad road in 1980. (laughs) And now he, you know, God, he looks awful. But you know what? He doesn't give a shit. He's just out there and he's having fun. And I think, you know, without a doubt, without a doubt, if you ask a thousand Stones fans who their, you know, who their favorite Stones guy at least 998 would say Keith, you know, uh, he doesn't mind not getting the line. He he did mind it in the eighties. He went, they went separate ways for a little bit, but anyway, let's reel me back in the very first stones show. I saw, uh, I had a, that was a Lieutenant in the army and I had this friend Now she wasn't a girlfriend, but she was a friend who was a Lieutenant in the army from West point. First girl, first female class at West point, which took some cojones, you know, And this girl was a badass, And she drove a BMW something. We drove to Munich and we averaged 128 miles an hour. We averaged 120 miles an hour. And we got passed by two cars. One was a Lamborghini and the other one was going so fast we couldn't tell what it was. So anyway, but that's a side story. She could speak German. And so she somehow figured out this, you know, who to connect with. I couldn't speak German. And she, this was payphone back in the payphone days. And she called up and finagled tickets to five Stones concerts, you know, two in Munich sta- Munich Olympic Stadium and three in Frankfurt indoors, all in the same two week period. So I, I ended up with five pairs of tickets to see the Stones over a two week period. Well, and this and, is your favorite band.
0: So you, you married this girl, right?
1: No, I didn't. No, no, <laughs> she's she's uh, no, but I'm actually a, a godfather of one of her kids. Uh, <laughs> she was already cool. married. She was already married. <laughs> And okay. she was married to a Notre Dame guy, by the way. Anyway, so we went to the show and it was back in the days when my first show was in Munich stadium and it was back in the days before they had seating in the, in the, on the floor and everybody was, you know, it was like a, it was like a rugby match, you know,
0: yep.
1: which they don't do anymore because there were some people got hurt or something. Uh, yeah, something they, they, about
0: Altamont. Yeah. We,
1: Altamont. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is, so anyway, so I immediately lost her in the crowd and I had just bought all this expensive camera work, cameras, equipment. And uh somehow I ended up with this German motorcycle gang. And I, you know, I didn't speak much German and they didn't speak much English, but the biggest guy, th- thank God he liked me. He must have been 400 pounds and about six feet five. He picked me up and put me on his shoulders. And I I have some tremendous shots of Keith. This is my first Stones concert. So I wasn't backstage like you were, but for the first time, this was pretty badass. And I got some uh, Shots of, you know, uh, I was on the, the right one, the, the, the famous um, Ronnie side, right? If you're watching the Stones, you know, there's a Keith side and a Ronnie side. Yep. The Ronnie side, Keith came up the runway. So I got some amazing shots of them and they were on a cherry picker. It was unbelievable. But the real funny part of the story is that Jay Giles was the warm up band. I can't think of a better up band for the Stones than Jay Giles. And I don't think the Germans knew much about Jay Giles, but they were like blown away. And that was just when the J Giles, you know, Angel in the Centerfold album, whatever Freeze Frame, whatever that album yep. was, which was yep. I think their biggest album, and they were they were on fire. And right after the J Giles stopped, and the Stones were getting ready, and the Stones are always late. We, we made a mad rush to the men's room, and in the in, in Germany, this might be PG rated. Right? Eh, this is P This is Chad. Yeah, give it. You in in, you in, in Germany, you at least in this particular place, they just had a wall with a trough and the floor. Right, there was no individual urinals and and they had water rushing down at the high end and it was you know and so as i walked into the men's room there's like 50 german bikers all lined up against the wall all singing and swaying in tune na 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 and it was like choreographed urination it was unbelievable
0: angel is a centerfold
1: yes yes and so apparently that song resonated with them and then and then we saw the stones and it was just like it was a surreal moment yes and then and then we saw him the next day and then we saw him three more times in that that with a
0: two week span. It was just unbelievable. That's fantastic, dude. That is fantastic. Well, we're going to have to have another podcast just to talk about music. And, you know, I will challenge you that the Aerosmith is a better band than the stones and that I've been Mm. to almost as many times as you've seen the stones, but Hey, that's okay. Agree to disagree. That's all. Okay. Um, Hey, Murray, thank you so much for being on orange, crushing it, being on the show today. Real pleasure listening to you and a lot of your insight into money and debt you know consolidation and uh, how can people get a hold of you? Because I think it's important that people reach out to you and you know get their finances into the check.
1: Well, I appreciate Frank. Uh, before I give that information, I just like to say it's been a pleasure. Frank and I are in a mastermind group. I think you mentioned it. What did you I'm call? Unblinded.
0: Yeah, the unblinded ten by ten.
1: And it's been a life changing thing for me because I meet the, you know the the people on the teams are like like Frank and it's just like and everybody is uses what's called human integrity based human Influence. Influence. Thank you, Frank. And they mean it. And everybody in this mastermind is looking out for everybody else. And it's just very inspirational. So Frank, I want to thank you for helping me on. And uh, I look forward to not just talking about awesome times, but uh, I really want to, you know, I, I know we're going to work on something together because uh, I, I can just feel, I just feel a good vibe. But anyway, Two best ways are to email me. This is the easiest way to spell it, is Murray at boostedprofits.com. That's M-U-R-R-A-Y at boostedprofits, all one word. B-O-O-S-T-E-D profits, p-r-o-f-i-t-s.com. Definitely email me. Tell me you you heard me on Frank's uh, Orange Crush show. Secondly, I'm on LinkedIn. Look, there's, I'm the only Murray Bolier. <laughs> <laughs> So it's, it's, you won't get confused. It's M-U-R-R-A-Y. And here's the tough part. B-E-A-U-L-I-E-U. If you can remember that, if you've got a pen, I'll say it again. B-E-A-U-L-I-E-U. Murray Bowyer. Uh, I would be glad to connect and show you around LinkedIn. I think LinkedIn is, a, is, is I work exclusively on LinkedIn. It's my place of residence. I think that's where all the fish are, and uh, I'd be happy to show you around if you, if you need some
0: help. But thanks awesome. a lot, Frank. Awesome, awesome to be here. Awesome, awesome. I, I can vouch for Mari's program on LinkedIn as well because he helped me, and uh, he's got a lot of great tips on how to improve your profile just alone. Real simple things. Anyways, again, everybody, thanks for being here today on Orange Crushing It. I appreciate the time you spend with us, and make today an amazing day. Give back to others, contribute, be happy, be grateful, and stay inspiring. Ciao. Thanks for listening to this episode of Orange Crushing It. Hope you're fired up to take on your week with unstoppable energy. Hey, if you like the broadcast, please subscribe, share it with your best buds, and please write a badass review. You can all reach me at themrorange.com. Stay inspiring, y'all.